Behind the Still podcast, we are here with the owner of 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirits Company uh, out of the good state of Colorado. Uh, you guys won the Craft Whiskey Distillery of the Year Award that we put together this year by docking it out of the park completely. Uh, so Ryan Thompson, how are you today, sir? Hey, Dan, I'm doing great, bud. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so uh, you guys' community really hit it out of the ballpark. I know we were talking a little bit behind, uh, you know, before the show started about how you guys did that, but that was kind of the whole entire purpose of, of why we put the award together. And one of those, you know, criteria is the community base and your impact on your community. And obviously you guys got a pretty strong one. How do you, uh, what do you, what do you commit to that? I mean, how have you guys done it? Well, a couple of different things. We're obviously a military centric brand. And so we get a lot of support from, uh, um, different military organizations. And so when, uh, we had an opportunity to, uh, tell everyone about the award that we had uh, up for grabs. I think a lot of people said, well, hell yeah, we're, we're, we're going online and voting for you. So um, I think that's one aspect. Another aspect is we printed up signs and put them in our tasting room. And, and when people were there enjoying a cocktail, we'd tell them about Rackhouse and tell them about uh, the option for uh, or the potential for uh, receiving this award and this recognition and um, how much it means to us actually that uh, we get a uh, market that for 2022 being the craft facility of the year for 21. So yeah. I think that's going to uh, speak volumes to our, our, our network of distributors. So yeah, and we'll be sending out a real cool uh, trophy here. Certainly uh, I'm working on that right now. Hopefully it'll be cooler than any of the other ones that are out there that you have in your trophy room already. Oh yeah, uh, dude. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll display it proudly at the, at the tasting room. So. Yeah. 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 And if for anybody listening to this that hasn't been to the tasting room, uh, it's a real cool place. You guys got some cool stuff on the walls, you know, it's right there next to the ski slopes. Um, which by the way, is that, is that rocking and rolling out there right now? Yeah. Well, ski se- mountains open. We don't have a whole lot of snow. It's pretty thin right now. So I think that's about to change here, uh, starting tomorrow, but, uh, yeah, we need some snow, but the, the mountain is open and uh, people are here having a good time. So that's awesome. So, so the last time we were out there, it was been, uh, God, it's been about a couple of years now. It seems like right. uh, I've seen you before then, but has anything changed? Do you have any, have you guys expanded it into, uh, any new categories, any cool releases coming out? Anything uh, neat that you have going on? Yeah. Well, this past April, I think one of the, uh, a couple of good successes that we've had for 2021 this past April, we released our, uh, Pinot, our Pinot Noir brandy. So it's made from Pinot Noir grapes from Monterey, California. And that was really unique, and that's been very well received. Uh, very proud of that. We also released uh, our American Single Malt that we started distilling about two and a half years ago. And uh, so excited to get that launched, and people have been really enjoying that. So um, those those two are the, are the latest spirit releases, at least, that we have going. So. Yeah, yeah, the Single Malt's an interesting one. Um, you know, it's obviously really big over in Scotland and what have you, um, but it's starting to really get a lot of attention here in the U.S., it seems like, with uh, the U.S. little spin to it. Um, are you is, how is how, What's your guys' take on that? Yeah, I think it's important, and I just got back from American Craft Spirit Association Conference in Louisville uh, just last night, and uh, there was a, there's an American Single Malt Commission um, that a lot of uh, distillers have gotten together just so we can speak with one voice about um, what is what is the category, what defines it, et cetera. So um, I think that's really important. And uh, I think eight distilleries started it maybe six, seven years ago. And I think there's 60 to 70 distilleries that are part of it now. So wow. um, I think that's really cool to see that grow. Interesting. So are you guys getting, are you sticking to the California uh, you know, uh, ingredients com- completely for that, or how is that? How are you going oh, about that's that? That's the brandy you're talking about there, the brandy. So um, I've got a buddy that owns a uh, vineyard in Monterey, 
I never thought we were going to make brandy before <laughs> ever. Um, I never had bought a bottle of brandy off the shelf, but my buddy calls me up and he's like, Hey Ryan, I've got 3000 gallons of Pinot Noir. Do you want it to distill off and make brandy? I was like, well, Justin, my man, I've, I'm, I don't know. How much is that going to cost me? How much does 3000 gallons of Pinot Noir cost? Like, right. I'm just going to give it to you. And it was cut me in on the back. I'm like, well, yeah, you got a deal then, dude. Heck so yeah. Um, and then we aged it in our uh, used bourbon barrels, which is pretty fun. Has a really unique flavor to it. So that's awesome. So these special releases are just continuing to grow. It seems like with every distillery, they're doing those things. It seems like you're you're also witnessing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I mean the, the overall spirits market is certainly growing, and there's a I don't know at last count twenty three hundred distilleries or something in the U S. Something along those lines. And if you consider that each one is making at least two or three different flavors. So there's a lot of different uh, experiments going on, a lot of different um, spirits that are hitting the market because the, the uh, distilleries aren't afraid to push the envelope necessarily. And, and so uh, you're seeing a lot of cool new flavors hit the market. So Yeah, that's fascinating. So in regards yeah. to 10th Mountain, you know, sticking to this, the storyline there, you guys said you're doing a lot of support. Like I think I saw recently on social media, you guys have done some, some events with uh, the military recently. Uh, was it the 10th Mountain Foundation? Is Am I speaking that correct? Well, we always, uh, throughout the year, um, we have opportunities to work with different military nonprofits, different military organizations. Uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, here in our backyard with uh, the Vail Veterans Program, and then a lot of the active soldiers coming up from Fort Carson and Colorado Springs. Uh, but then we also uh, worked with uh, the 4th Infantry and raised a bunch of money with them with the Private Barrel Select. Uh, that one of the uh, the honorary colonel uh, Frank Sturck chose, um, and that uh, helped raise uh, money for the for, uh, for the infantry uh, monument, the Fourth Infantry Monument that's uh, now is just unveiled. Uh, it sits on the uh, Walk of Honor, which is uh, just outside of the National Infantry Museum in uh, Columbus, Georgia. So. Wow, that's interesting. How much impact have, have you guys made on these charities and new monuments and stuff like that? I mean, it's obviously incredible. It's in your name, but man, it seems like you're always into one of those. Yeah, it's it's something that's near and dear to our heart to uh, be able to give back to the military organizations that have basically allowed us to to do what we do every day, which is make great spirits and and, and ski a great mountain. So um, it's very important to us to to uh, to take uh, those opportunities and run with them and do what we can to, to support the um, different military nonprofits and military organizations that are out there. So. Yeah, yeah. How's the brand? How's the guy that we met that when we were out there? The brand, the real funny guy. What remember me? That's Steven, yeah. Steve, how's he? Is he still around? Yeah, he's doing great, man. He's still with us. He's making everyone laugh at like he does. Uh, that seem, just seems to come naturally for him, right? Yeah, but from yeah, he's, uh, he's Mississippi, right? Isn't that where he's yeah. from? Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's, uh, he's an Air Force veteran from Mississippi, so yeah, he's been working with us uh, for gosh about seven years now so he's been around for a long time it's great that helps when you have you know and you're employing veterans and you're helping veterans i mean the whiskey community is huge in the veteran community i mean even from rackhouse right. members uh you know we're the same way you know one of our equity owners is a uh, is is uh, is military as well um it's yeah. just extremely important to our hearts uh as well and then they just love yeah. to drink whiskey i mean for all the wrong right. reasons though right <laughs> yeah exactly and that's one one of the great things it's uh to uh, have the guys and gals come visit us at our tasting rooms, sit down, share a whiskey or two, and, and swap a few stories as well. Um, it's really important uh, uh, for us when, when the, the vets and active soldiers are able to come in and join us and uh, just share some of their experiences. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been great. 
Yeah. So to, for, for anybody listening to this that might be like, man, I, I missed the last podcast. I, I haven't seen the videos. You know, get, what's the good quick rundown of 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirits Company and, and the story behind that, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, sure. So we're named in honor of the 10th Mountain Armed Division that originated here in the Vale area in the 1940s. They were a mountain warfare specific division that went uh, off and won some very significant battles in World War II. And then when they returned, uh, they wanted to share the active outdoor lifestyle that they had uh, and the skiing, uh, the sport of skiing that they had come to learn while they were training for uh, mountain and winter warfare. And so over 62 different ski resorts uh, across the, uh, the country were started by 10th Mountain Vets. Uh, vale Mountain uh, here in our backyard is, is one. Aspen Mountain, so two of the most well-known ski resorts, uh, were started by 10th Mountain Vets. Nike was actually founded by a 10th Mountain vet, Phil Knight's business partner, a guy named Bill Bowerman. Uh, so, so he served in the 10th. Um, rest in peace, Bob Dole. Uh, but he was a 10th Mountain vet and very, very uh, proud of that aspect. And so they had an overall influence in the uh, modern day outdoor lifestyle uh, industry that we enjoy. And so when we were starting our distillery, we were like, well, hell, without these guys, and we want to be here. So let's name it in honor of them. And they're, uh, they're still one of the most active military divisions today. They're based in Fort Drum, New York. Uh, they all, they're also in Fort Polk and uh, in Carson as well. So, uh, But they're uh, one of the most active divisions today still, too. So. You remind me, Ryan, how, how did you get into – you, 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 when you're talking about naming the distillery and what have and giving back that part, but what, what did, how did you get into this distilling world in the first place again? Someone in this town had to make whiskey sooner or later. Might as well be me. Is that right? I love it. You know, it's, um, I have a, I, when I first moved to town uh, about 20, 23 years ago, I just I started bartending at night and skiing during the days and kind of living the ski bum life uh, for about three or four years and then started a restaurant in 2002 called the West Side Cafe. And so I've just always been in hospitality of one form or another. Uh, really liked home brewing beer. So I'd, I'd homebrew beer about once a quarter, just uh Nothing on too big of a level, but um, uh, still having fun with that. And then distillation is the next step after that. And so I uh, was watching what the craft distillery movement was doing, where it kind of was mimicking the craft brewing movement. And so I was like, well, I think I'll give it a hand uh, at distilling. And so went out to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky. Actually just visited them a couple of days ago. So I have a great relationship with those guys, an awesome organization. And uh, so I got hands-on distilling knowledge with them uh, and then came back and Wrote a business plan, and here we are, eight years later, winning uh, awesome awards from you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, did you, uh, when you were, when you're going through that whole distilling process, like, you know, say, and I say process, I mean the trial and error of making of what, making what you make today. Did you guys bring in any consultants? Did you guys was it was it just through trial and error, trying like this doesn't taste good, that tastes good, let's let's you know change this or that? How did you go through that process? Yeah, that's uh, Moonshine University actually had a pretty big influence on that that process. So. Um, and then one of the instructors at Moonshine University is a guy named Pete Kamer, and uh, we became close friends, and um, he was passionate about helping out the little guys. He had 40 years' experience in the business uh, with all the big guys, you name it. He worked for him in one aspect or another over his career, and uh, he had kind of was looking to retire but still wanted to, to stay in the business and wanted to uh, help out the small guys just getting started. And so we leaned on him quite a bit when we were uh, developing our mash bills, what yeast we were using, how we're going to be aging, et cetera. So. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and do you have, do you have, and when we were out there, obviously uh, <clears throat> some of the stuff we, we saw for ourselves, but are you going to be having any future changes or plans that you're working on, you know, getting different stills, columns, you know, you name it, that seems to be the thing. 
It's uh, <laughs> something we were Bigger just doing a tour of Vendome in Louisville. And sure. if, if you haven't gone to that place, that's that's one hell of a cool spot as well. So I was just talking to uh, Rob Sherman, uh, who's one of the owners there. Uh, I think he's a fourth generation owner. Uh, and so I was just talking to him about our next uh, expansion and how that looks and what, what we need. And so just just had that conversation a couple of days ago. So we'll see. <laughs> sure. Now, other than cost, you know, some of the, you know, a lot of our listeners listen are actual distillers as well. Uh, so we kind of run into some of the development process, business aspects. The storytelling obviously is the major piece. But uh, how do you choose between like, the column stills and like what size you need and how much you're going to expend? There's so much that goes into that. And obviously, we, you know, probably don't have time for it completely. But just from a general aspect, how does that kind of work on your guys' end? Uh, what we're limited by in the uh, size of the building that we're in, I think has sure. a big thing to do with it. Uh, actually I'm looking at plans just to build a, a barrel warehouse as well on property. Uh, so that might be coming here this coming up spring, fingers crossed. So, uh, and then that'll allow us to expand inside the distillery as well. Cause right now we're raging barrels, um, right inside where, where our still is and, and we're uh, kind of busting at the seams of that. And so it's time to do something different. And then, uh, so if we move the barrels out into a, a barrel warehouse, uh, then it'll, it'll give us some room to uh, expand the still as well. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of, you know, aging and stuff, Colorado, you get some pretty drastic temperature changes. Uh, you know, you got your own kind of climate out there. The water's obviously some snow melt. I mean, you have, you, Colorado is exploding in the craft distilling world, um, you know, for obvious reasons. I mean, how does that mark up to you and your, obviously your opinions biased towards Colorado, but it seems to me when you put everything I've learned, it seems to add the perfect ingredients for it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I'll agree with that. And uh, at last count, I think there are 110 distilleries or so here in Colorado. Wow. Um, not all making brown spirits and lying down barrels, but a good number of them are for sure. Uh, but it's a really unique industry in that everyone's really supportive um and really helpful one of the things when we were just out in louisville and went to some of the big guys and uh, i was just hanging out with the master distiller jim beam two nights ago and uh he is going to be more helpful and and uh, talking to the guys at peerless carson and corky and they always have an open door to to come in and chat with them and uh, you name it though it's just a a very helpful uh industry to be part Man. of and it's refreshing so you know i you, we talked about this so many times on this podcast and i talk about it everywhere we go um about how you know it's it's shocking how that's not the case throughout the country in some places you know here in iowa where we live it's starting to grow but that community based and i mean community i mean in the the distillers community supporting each other you know because you do go to the say bourbon trailer in kentucky and all those big name brands are all working with each other helping each other you know bardstown's building a damn hotel you know, right. for Jim Beam, and they're going to work on these things together. Um, you know, you, you just, you name it. Um, it. It seems to be the way that it should be in a lot of ways. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of competitiveness that gets looked at that. Instead of, you know, looking at it as a competitor, you kind of look at it, let's, let's join forces or take some knowledge, even if it's uh, even if it's just that, I mean, that's awesome to do. Colorado seems to have a really good niche when it comes to that community base and helping each other out. There's a big pie. I always say this is a big yeah. pie. There's enough exactly. people to eat, you know, let's all help each other out to get to where we need to go. Yeah. That's what I say too. It's, uh, something important to me when people come and ask us stuff. I mean, for a long time, I was uh, taking a seem like a phone call a week about a new distillery coming on board and a, and a couple of them have actually come to fruition uh but i was an open book to them and a lot of people were the same way when i was just getting started so um certainly want to give back to the community to the industry and and uh 
we don't act like we know everything. We're always learning on a daily basis as well. So who knows when I'm going to need to pick up the phone and, and call someone about making brandy or something <laughs> along those lines, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when that happened, we uh, I have a friend that has a brandy distillery in Portland, Oregon, and called him up, and Jason, and he's, he, he walked us through everything that he does, and he wasn't shy about holding back anything. So uh, it was great uh, to, to be able to chat with him when we had questions about making a spirit that we didn't have any experience with. Yeah, so I, since we talked about the Branley, I mean, like, let's, let's talk a little bit about the single malt thing. How did that come about? I've just been watching that category grow and grow, and uh, it's a category. I, I, I like single malts. I like scotches. And so I uh, just wanted to partake in that and wanted to be a distillery that had a, an American single malt. And so we started lying down barrels uh, two and a half years ago or so. Um, just because I saw where uh, that category is going and that, and that growth there. So just wanted to be part of that. Sure, sure, absolutely. Sure. And this is something that you learned from Moonshine U is putting some of those mash bills together that you liked or did you take any influence yeah. from anybody else? Yeah, yeah um, well, I think yeah, we definitely talked to Moonshine U on it. Um, and I mean, they're, they're more of our go-to, uh, our first phone call at least. Uh, and I don't think we talked to anybody else when we were doing that Um so I think it's probably just me and you, and, and then off we went. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Is the last time we were in Colorado, there was a big water problem um, with the cost of water and getting water for some of the, you know, some of the the fields that grow a lot of the ingredients out there. Is that still an issue that you know of? I don't think so as much. Um, if it is, we certainly haven't had much of an effect of it up here where we live in the Vale Valley. So. Uh, I don't think it is much of an issue these days, but maybe a farmer might be able to answer that a little bit better. Yeah, so. yeah. So you're hoarding it all. Is that what you're saying? Right. <laughs> hoarding all the water up there. Yeah, no, yeah. we were down at Root Shoot Malting, this on the other side of the mountain sure. pass. So that was an issue. I remember hearing that, and I, I was shocked about how big of an issue it was and how waters became more uh, of a commodity than oil in a lot of ways, uh, getting their hands on it and kind of who gets what. I mean, it was just kind of, Sad to hear, but also interesting because I feel like they'll come through with it. But it definitely affects. Well, actually, now, and now that you mentioned it, we went and visited at our uh, corn provider, Bow and Arrow Farms in Cortez, Colorado, which is the southwest down by the Four Corners. And they're in a, in a pretty significant drought. We went and visited them about six months ago or so. Um, so now that you mentioned that, yeah, they're, they're still feeling the effects of it. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and everywhere across the country has their own effects. We have droughts here in Iowa last year which affects corn which affects a lot of corn a lot of it's grown here right. but but yeah no that's fascinating well um i'm glad that we got you on the podcast ryan i didn't want to take up t- tons of your time but i wanted to get on here and get a get a word from you and, and congratulate you on the on the award and uh and hope you know see how long you can t- keep this running it's going to take a you know a hell of a, p- a push from some other distilleries uh to step up and take your down take take you guys down next time because it was a heck of a run We'll give it our best shot. Yeah, you bet. All <laughs> and right. We'll, and we'll display that trophy proud while we got it. So yeah, That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, yeah. yeah, you can go to your website and get products. We featured you guys a couple years ago. It sold like crazy. We don't have anything left. Hopefully in the future we can get some more stuff back up and uh, have access to get people some 10th Mountain Whiskey. Otherwise, go out to uh, the distillery, go to the tasting room, um, and get yourself some product, and then hit the ski slopes afterwards, as long as there's snow, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that's it's awesome. actually you, you go skiing first and then you hit the tasting room. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I, I guess so. Not, not, uh, maybe not when I go out there, but we'll just tell any of everybody otherwise. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a flask in your jacket. Oh, that's right. Fun. All right. Well, until next time, we're out.